Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. So hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode. Firstly, apologies for my voice. As I'm sure you can hear, it doesn't sound great. I actually completely lost it last week. I was mute and thank goodness it's come back now because it is not easy parenting with no voice, trust me. But it's still a little sore as you can hear. So it's sort in the episode as well, but I really wanted to get the episode recorded. So I let Caroline, my guest, do most of the talking. This week's episode comes with a trigger warning because we are talking about intrusive, unwanted harm thoughts. Now, I didn't know this before I became a mum, but these are really, really, really common, as in almost universal, as you'll hear in the episode. Most mums and dads at some point will experience these intrusive, scary harm thoughts about our children and our babies. So I'm really happy that we're going to be talking about it in this episode because it's just something not talked about. Dr. Caroline Boyd is a clinical psychologist. She's a writer and a mother, and she did her doctoral research exploring these types of thoughts. So she's the perfect person for us to deep dive with these on, and we talk about where they come from, how to manage them. I share my experience of them. Caroline shares her experience of them and those that took part in her study. So our intention with this episode is that it is really comforting because I know when I first experienced these harm thoughts, I was really freaked out. I thought there was something wrong with me. So I hope that by listening to this episode, you will also come to realise how normal and common these are and why they happen, which I think is really helpful to understand as well. For more information about these, have a look at Caroline's website. There are loads and loads and loads of tips and content on there, including her original paper. If you want to really deep dive in it, you can read the research. It is important to say, though, that if you feel you're struggling to manage your unwanted harm thoughts, or if they feel so intrusive that they're getting in the way of your everyday life with your baby, then please do go to your GP. With that in mind, here is the episode. I hope you really enjoy it. So Caroline, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited that we're going to be talking about something which is really, really important, but something I've never spoken about on the podcast before. And that is harm thoughts or intrusive thoughts, people might know them as. So perhaps you can just start by telling us a little bit about you and how you came to study these and then go into what they are. Thank you. Yeah. No, I just wanted to say thanks for having me. I've listened to so many of your episodes and it's really nice to be here. But yeah, I was going to talk to you about unwanted thoughts of harm. And I wondered, maybe if we just zoom out a bit to begin with and just talk about intrusive thoughts of harm more generally in the general population, because they're really common. They're reported by four out of five people. So by this, I'm talking about I don't know if this resonates with anyone listening, but you might have had an involuntary urge to 
scream really loudly in a hushed building or maybe when you're waiting on a tube platform had just an unwanted urge to push someone in front of the train so these kinds of urges are just really really common and a particular category of these relates to unwanted intrusive thoughts of harm related to harming a baby this was the topic for my doctoral research which has just been published and for this I did in-depth interviews with eight women they weren't being treated for mental health difficulties at the time and I talked to them about their experiences of their harm thoughts and also how they made sense of them and how they shared them in terms of what they are unwanted thoughts of harm about the baby can be word thoughts such as thinking my baby isn't safe or it could be a mental image of your baby falling down the stairs or it could also be urges or impulses so these kind of thoughts they broadly take two forms so that's accidentally harming your baby which have been found to be pretty much universal so that's nearly every single woman gets these kinds of thoughts i definitely had those i've had those with both girls have actually. you yes it's the accidental actually with jesse i had harm thoughts that i was going to harm her so I remember one was that I was going to, like in the kitchen, I remember saying this before, that with a knife, that I would somehow harm her with a knife. It was quite extreme, actually. They can be quite violent. in the- Yeah, it was really violent. It was really violent. But with Rose, it's been more accidental. Like I had a hot pot of water from the, making Jessie's pasta the other day, and I, I had this vision of like pouring it all over Rose, like accidentally yeah. spilling it. Yeah. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because you're probably dealing with boiling hot water a lot at the moment with sterilising and are you at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it kind of makes sense that that's what your thoughts of harm would map onto. And that is a really common one, having worries about accidentally scolding the baby. I'm really interested to talk to you more about the thoughts you were having that you described about Jesse. I mean, I guess I'm interested to just hear a bit about how they made you feel at the time pretty freaked out to start with mm. and mm. I thought is this postnatal depression or something worse mm-hmm. but then I spoke to my therapist about it and she just instantly normalized it and said do you actually feel like you want to do that and I said absolutely not the thought mm-hmm. horrifies me mm. and she said don't worry it's really normal So that sort of was enough for me then. I still continued to have them. And I made sure that I didn't change my behaviour as a result of the thought. So at one point I was like, oh, maybe I should put the knives away because even looking at the knives would trigger it. And I thought, no, I'm not going to change that because then that's giving the thought a lot of power. So I didn't do that. And then eventually, God, I can't remember, Jessie's four now. And this was in her first couple of months of life. But eventually they just went away. Although I still experience them sometimes with Jessie, but they're not that specific. They're more like imagining her falling over or imagining her walking into her bedroom and she's not breathing. And my husband has really vivid intrusive thoughts as well, harm thoughts of Jessie flying into the road on her scooter and a very graphic image of her being hit by a car. Um, So together, sometimes we laugh about them. Okay, yeah. And so great that you can talk about them together. Yeah. In itself, so normalising, and plus you can make sense of them together. And I think that's really interesting, actually, that the ones that you describe your husband as having, 
are, you know, as your daughter's got older, now the worries are about her coming off her scooter. And it sounds like there's that really vivid mental picture maybe in his head of her sort of perhaps flying into the road. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he says his head is like being in a horror movie (laughs) because he sees things very visually. Right, okay. And they can be really visual and really vivid, which is part of the reason why they're so upsetting. And I think also the content of the thoughts do tend to change kind of unsurprisingly, I guess, as your child gets older, because they tend to map on to whatever the current concerns are. So, you know, at the moment, your husband's taking her out on the scooter. And I guess it's about that entertaining the worst case scenario in his head, which again, is something that's very human. And it's something that we're wired to do. I think the important bit is how you then respond to the thought. I'd really love to come back to that. Maybe we'll come on to that a bit more. Because when you were saying with your thoughts of harming Jesse when you were walking past some knives in the kitchen, having spoken to your therapist, you then didn't change your behaviour, as in you didn't avoid then walking past the knives. And I think that's really key. So let's come back to that in terms of how avoidance can sometimes make these thoughts worse and come more often. Okay. The first kind of thing to say is how common these thoughts are. So whilst thoughts of accidental harm are experienced by pretty much everyone, there's also thoughts of intentional harm, which we've talked about as well. And they're experienced or reported rather by nearly one in two women. Just examples of these are thoughts of screaming at the baby or impulses to to throw or to smack the baby. And unsurprisingly, these can be experienced by new moms as really upsetting and they come with really intense emotions. And I think, I don't know what you found, Zoe, but a real lack of controllability where they just appear to sort of pop up seemingly out of nowhere. And then that's coupled with the chaos of the first few months when you're grappling with life as a new mum. It's a really intense emotional experience. Yeah, and that's why I'm so excited to put this episode out because I think if it's not talked about or normalised. Like when I first had it, I genuinely remember thinking, oh my God, this is it. You know, I've lost my mind. Yeah. Because um, I'd never really experienced intrusive thoughts before. Although I had had that urge, as you said, about the tube. It wasn't pushing someone. I used to stand waiting for the tube and I used to think all the time, I wonder what would happen if I just jumped. Yeah. And I yeah. know that's a really common one because I spoke to lots of friends about that one. So, yeah, it was really disturbing. And I think that's why, you know, knowing the stats, as you said, how normal this is, I think is going to be so fantastic for people to hear. And I think you're right that they can be experienced really upsetting because, you know, you're thinking, well, how could a good mother have these thoughts? And again, that's something I think we're going to come on to. Your point about the fact these thoughts just aren't talked about, you know, they're still really taboo. And I think women can really feel shame or guilt or horror when they have these thoughts. And I guess it's important to say that the very fact that women feel ashamed or horrified about having them is a strong sign that they're not going to hurt the baby. So they tend not to sit comfortably with women. In the literature, it's described as ego dystonic, which means that they're not indicative of risk in themselves. So I think it's just really important to emphasise that having these kinds of unwanted thoughts of harm doesn't mean that you pose a risk to your baby. And the research does show that experiencing these thoughts makes you no more likely to deliberately hurt your baby. 
making them distinct from the kinds of thoughts you might get with postpartum psychosis. And of course, as always, the context is really important. So if a mother states intention to harm her baby or has a history of harming her baby, then of course, the risk needs to be taken seriously. But with these kind of anxious, unwanted thoughts of harm, it doesn't matter actually how bad the thought is. What matters is how bad they make the mum feel and we want to get her some relief. Yeah. Cher, so you said 50% will experience the intentional harm thoughts. What percentage or number experience the accidental harm thoughts? You know, so you're carrying the baby and you think, oh my God, what would happen if I dropped her now? What would happen if I dropped him down the stairs? What proportion of mums experience that type of accidental harm thought? So with those kind of thoughts, they're pretty much universal. So in so everyone. So pretty much everyone. Wow. In my study, it was the majority of mums had those thoughts. And then in the larger studies, in one study by Abramovitz, who's kind of a key researcher in this area, 91% of parents had these thoughts. And wow. in my key paper by... Don't you think we need to be teaching this at like NCT antenatal classes and say, if you have these thoughts, don't worry, 90% of you are going to? Yeah. I really, really do think that. I guess that was part of the reason why I really wanted to explore this area is because I didn't get that education antenatally. So for me, I had these thoughts after my daughter was born and mine were very much worries about dropping her down the stairs or her falling somehow down the stairs. And they would often come to me in the evening, actually. So I might have put her down and I was be sitting downstairs and I'd be tired as every new mum is and they would tend to come then at the time I just found them really unpleasant they were really vivid and they felt intrusive and they also just seemed to clash with my expectation of what life with a new baby was meant to be like as in I should be feeling happy all the time this doesn't seem to quite marry up with that But I think because I was doing my clinical psychology training at the time, I had some understanding of intrusive thoughts. So I think I sort of just had it even through my fog of tiredness. I had a bit of an understanding that it would be most helpful to try and just let these thoughts go. And so that's what I did. And I was also lucky enough to be able to talk to other mum friends in my network, one of whom was also training. And then it just became very open I remember, you know, a friend would say to me, oh, God, this table's got these really sharp corners. I've just had a really horrible thought about banging her head against it when she was talking about her baby. So it became quite an open conversation. But what I actually was also left thinking is, well, what if you didn't have knowledge of intrusive thoughts and how to try to manage them? And, you know, knowing how unpleasant they can be to experience And what if you haven't been told about them antenatally, because I wasn't specifically, then how bad could they make a new mum feel? I think that's definitely something we should talk more about. But I think it's really, really important. And one of my study recommendations is to try and develop teaching and to help health visitors and midwives understand these kinds of thoughts better obviously some of them already do but just to help them feel more confident to have these conversations with mums I think antenatally and postnatally so that I guess mums can feel supported to share them so at the moment I'm developing some teaching for the Institute of Health Visiting 
And at the moment, I think it's also important to acknowledge that it's a very constrained system. So health visitors and midwives have a lot of pressures from above and below. And I think the idea with the teaching is just trying to support and contain them within that system to have these kind of conversations about unwanted harm thoughts with new mums. Yeah, it's really important. I think it would be such a service and a gift if you could, and maybe this episode, and who knows what else we could do, but if we could help to normalise these, I think it would be a real gift to mums out there. You said I was training as a clinical psychologist, so I was able to practice letting them go. So we've talked about what they are, we've talked about how prevalent and common they are. So what do we do when we have these thoughts? I mentioned that one of my strategies was not giving it power. You've talked about letting it go, so almost letting it wash across your mind, not hooking into it. Can you talk a bit about what to do when we have these thoughts? As you say, it's a lot about the meaning, so how we interpret these thoughts. I've got some sort of ideas I wanted to share with you and your listeners about what can be helpful to manage them. Just before we get into that, I guess what's really important to also think about is why women don't talk about these thoughts. I think one of the reasons why, and this really came out in my study, is because they just don't fit ideas of what it means to be a good mum. And this is really powerful. And this really is very much linked to the meaning, like you say. So perhaps if I just start there, I might just explain a bit about how the women I interviewed made sense of their harm thoughts and the meaning that they took from them yeah great for half the women I interviewed they were really worried that having these thoughts are a sign that they're mad bad or dangerous and then if they did share them they would be judged an unfit mother and worse have their baby taken away so this I guess meant that no one in my study shared their harm thoughts with a healthcare professional and this is very much linked going back to the meaning that mum's take from these thoughts is what shapes our ideas of a good mum and for the women that I interviewed it was their own early experiences of being parented combined with cultural ideas and pressures and a really powerful influence was the super mum myth in western culture so I don't know if this is familiar to you Zoe but it's the idea that being a mum is natural blissful and that it's ultimately fulfilling to women. It means that women are fed a diet of all the good bits, so a a cherry-picked version of motherhood. And this comes from, you know, when we're children and we're read fairy tale books to the Madonna and child images that you see on church windows, to celebrities extolling only the joys of motherhood and sort of showing off their super slim bodies just weeks after childbirth. And this myth holds a lot of power, I think, because it really sets the standard for what is a good mother, and therefore a good woman, and what is a bad one. And the supermom myth has been shown to really shape women's expectations of motherhood. I call it the supermom myth, by the way. I mean, sometimes it's referred to as the goddess myth. And actually, Anya Hayes has written a really great book called The Supermom Myth, which really taps into the power of this myth and how it does feed into women's expectations of motherhood. But I think the problem with this kind of projection of perfection is that it creates an idea that there's only one way to feel. You know, mums must be full of joy, 
in their new role and calm and coping and in control at all times. And any negative feelings mean that you're somehow bad or abnormal. Whereas we know in reality, and I think Alexandra Sachs talks really powerfully about this when she talks about matrescence, but, you know, in reality, as women, we're going through, when we just had a baby, all the changes related to our brain and our body and our identity, losses around the community, our sense of self, not to mention sleep deprivation. And then I guess layers on top around pressures to parent perfectly and then these expectations. So the supermum myth, I think, can be really powerful and really quite toxic and it gets internalised by women. And from the women that I interviewed, it shaped all of their ideas of the good mum and therefore how they made sense of their harm thoughts. So for half of the women, they labelled their harm thoughts as mad, bad or dangerous because they interpreted them to mean that they're a bad mum. And when I say bad, I guess one example is one woman had recurring impulses to throw her baby from a bridge and then thinking that she was bad or inadequate as a mum. So it's really about feeling understandably overwhelmed in the chaos of the early months. Then a woman has a harm thought about her baby and then feeling intensely bad about having the harm thought. So then you try to suppress it internally and it becomes a downward spiral. Yeah. So that's kind of just to talk a bit about the meaning and the interpretation where women having these harm thoughts can often, not always, but can often interpret them to mean that they're a bad mum. So I guess in terms of things that can be helpful, talking about them can really help. And I think that's something it sounds like that you were able to do with your therapist and have it immediately normalised. Yeah. So talking can really help women feel better and help them understand that they don't mean that they're a bad mum and then therefore they can feel less isolated and less alone in their thoughts. Just that they're totally normal. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's sort of part and parcel of early parenthood. It's just part of the experience. But we're just not told about that bit. So for the women in my study, those who shared with a partner or a friend spoke of the real power of normalising through sharing their thoughts. So I'd really encourage any women listening to take a bit of a risk and be brave and share your harm thoughts if you feel you can, whether that's with a partner or if it may be with a mum friend. And I think it's very likely that your experience will validate you and help you feel reassured that the person you're talking to may not have exactly the same harm thoughts, but it's likely there may be some similarities. Yeah. So I think talking really helps. I don't know if you're aware of postpartum stress, Zoe, in America, but Karen Kleiman, who heads up that centre, she does some fantastic work and there's some really great resources on her website and also her Instagram. And she talks really clearly about how these thoughts can quickly spiral, leading to thoughts like, I'm such a bad mum, I shouldn't have had this baby, this was a mistake. So I think that this is where the normalising actually becomes really important. And I think I found working clinically, giving mums that space to talk and make sense of her anxious thoughts of harm. You know, you can really see the relief on her face, 
where she feels validated, she can make sense of what she's feeling and talking with someone in a space where she doesn't feel judged and there's some hope that can be held and she can be supported to come up with a bit of a plan. I think it helps to know as well why we get these thoughts and it makes so much sense doesn't it that at a time when we have more responsibility than arguably we've ever had in our lives our minds have a response to that which is almost a freak out so I think knowing that really helped me as well because I was like okay there's nothing wrong with me it's just my mind trying to protect me it's just my mind throwing these thoughts at me at a new time in my life it really helped me to just let go of them I would agree actually I think sort of knowing why they occur I guess physiologically if we start with that what's going on in our brains when we have these thoughts can be really helpful so I think I would start by saying that our minds have evolved to keep us safe so the modern brain is really designed to look out for danger and we have many many thoughts that flow well most of them flow beneath our active awareness yeah but when we have a harm thought about our baby it evokes an emotional reaction so that might be fear or guilt or shame that's attached to that harm thought and that then triggers our internal alarm system so that's our sympathetic nervous system that's where our fight and flight response is and by activating that it shifts that thought of harm into consciousness so it's really our brain's way of protecting us actually and alerting us to the potential threat and then we can problem solve and for example find ways to keep our baby safe but and this is a big but our brain can't distinguish between real life or death threats such as being held at gunpoint or a perceived threat such as an internal threat like a harm thought about our baby yeah so the fight or flight response kind of kicks in regardless in both cases and then we're flooded with adrenaline and fear and then we've got this really powerful urge to either run away or fight to survive so it's a really really powerful bodily response that's kicked in when we have these harm thoughts you know, it's really understandable that that anxiety or fear, or in some cases it might be shame that you feel, makes you want to avoid or get as far away from that thought as possible. But the problem is, is that when we try to avoid those thoughts, it only increases their power and intensity. So they keep coming back. So I always say what you resist will persist. Like the more that it's like a beach ball, isn't it? The more you push it down underwater, the more it's going to explode. Exactly. I think we touched on this at the beginning when we were talking about the issue of avoidance, I guess, is that sometimes people start avoiding doing certain things that might elicit their harm thought. So I guess if you imagine a mum who has thoughts of accidentally drowning her baby and she's become so worried that the baby might slip and drown in the bath that she ends up handing over that job to someone else. So unfortunately, behaviours like avoidance actually empower your intrusive thought and it's really important to try and break that cycle yeah yeah, I thought maybe I could (laughs) if you don't mind Zoe just to show what avoiding a thought does and we could try a little thought experiment if you're up for it yeah definitely okay so this comes from a professor at Harvard University he's called Daniel Wegner I think that's how you pronounce his name so Zoe I'm just going to ask you for the next 10-15 seconds Try not to think about white bears. So 
don't think about the texture of their fur or their colour or the sounds they might make or what they might be doing. And maybe I'll just ask you how that went. <laughs> All I could think about was wipe theirs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I guess it just shows that trying to suppress a thought only makes it rebound again and again. And it's partly because a part of your brain goes into monitoring mode. So you're scanning for the thought that you're trying to avoid because you're viewing it as a threat, which means that the very thought you're trying to avoid keeps coming back to you. So what do we do then? So we know not to resist them, as you've just shared. So we've talked about talking, is what you were saying, normalising it. What Mm. else do you advise women and fathers to do? Yeah, while we're on that, let me just say very briefly that dads do get harm thoughts too. It's a very small evidence base on this particular topic, but it's shown that dads do get them to a slightly lesser degree than mums. And in terms of what mums and dads can do, I think what I talk about is the importance of talking and also the importance of really getting to know the power of the supermom myth and getting to know its power and then actively resisting it. Okay, what does that look like? It's sort of understanding that this very sort of mythical ideal of the calm coping woman you know we're taught that we must cope and not ask for help and hide our true feelings it really sets us up to fail so really getting to know the supermom myth I think can help you understand where your thoughts may be coming from so I think of course it's understandable to feel horror or upset in response to a harm thought about your precious baby but I think interpreting them to mean you're a bad mum makes it harder to dismiss them and to let them go yeah so really trying to release yourself from the grip of the supermum myth helps to disempower the harm thought and for you to attach less meaning to those thoughts so the women in my study who were able to resist the ideology as in this supermum myth came to understand their harm thoughts as arising out of a particular context such as tiredness or stress without attaching significance to what harm thoughts meant about them as a mum. So with the mums that I work with, I often use an approach called compassion-focused therapy, which is essentially, for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's sort of developing a different way to relate to yourself and fostering a kinder internal voice. So sometimes I work with a mum to develop self-soothing statements. So, you know, you could try this and just see how it goes. But the next time an unwanted harm thought pops up, you could try telling yourself, hello there, harm thought. You are simply a thought. This experience doesn't mean anything bad about me. I'm a good enough mum. I'm safe and I'm doing okay. Yeah, beautiful. So I think telling yourself gently, I am not my thoughts, it helps you lower their emotional temperature And it helps you really to separate yourself from your thoughts, to kind of observe them at arm's length. And I think this is why what really helped me as well, because I'd been meditating very regularly. I don't like saying daily because it was, I missed days, but Mm. for sort of 10 years by the time I had Jesse, So I knew experientially that I'm not my thoughts. So when those thoughts came up, it was much easier for me to know that was just a thought and my brain fires tons of random 
God, the random stuff that goes on in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not my thoughts. They're just thoughts. And I think when we know that, the freedom, you know, not just around harm thoughts, but around all, you know, any thoughts that are harsh mm-hmm. towards ourselves. Yeah. Um, it's such a magnificent thing to know that, is that you are not your thoughts. It's so freeing. It really is. It really is. And I think it can really help you get stuck on a particular thought. So if you get stuck on a harm thought or you're feeling overwhelmed by it or out of control with it, I think just to detach from that thought can be really helpful. And I think relating to what you're saying about meditation, the other thing I was going to suggest that can be really helpful, which really taps into that, is practicing mindfulness skills around these thoughts. So maybe just for anyone who's not familiar with mindfulness, it's just about focusing on the present moment on purpose with a mindful awareness and a non-judgmental curiosity. So it's about stepping back from your thoughts without getting hooked by them, as in negatively labelling them or judging ourselves, as in this thought means I'm a terrible mum. And that process of stepping back gives you space to respond rather than to react. And then that gives you a wise choice about how to respond. So I think that kind of feeds into what we were saying about trying to notice your thought, name it. So it could be, oh, it's that harm thought again. And then acknowledging it with kindness and then trying to let it go. I don't know if you find it helpful sometimes, Zoe, to visualise sort of surfing your thoughts or feelings like waves. So you sort of learn that they peak in intensity, but then they will come back down again, as a wave does. I guess it's reinforcing that idea that our thoughts and our feelings are always in flow and they nothing lasts forever. So the feeling will pass. Yeah, and I think the weather analogy is really helpful for me as well. So, you know, when I'm on a plane, I always love to focus how, you know, through the clouds there's always a blue sky. Mm. above the clouds and I think there's always a calm steadiness to my mind the weather might be i.e my thoughts might be that it's stormy today or Mm. it might be sunny I might be having positive thoughts today or but it's just the weather I'm not the weather you know my thoughts go up and down my emotions go up and down my feelings go up and down that's being human but not feeling at the mercy of those is I mean it's life-changing to be honest Because then I'm able to know, okay, I might be feeling really anxious, but I don't need to become anxious for the whole day. I can know that that's just a thought or a feeling and I can let it go. So, yeah, the weather analogy really works for me because I see it as such a truism out in nature as well, you know. It always passes. You know, it can be in London, you know, raining one minute, sunny the next, you know, and that's that's so true of my thoughts and my feelings and my moods. And knowing not to judge myself about any of that. Just yeah. like, you know, nature doesn't judge itself, does it, when it's changing a hundred times a day? Yeah, I think that's such a nice way of describing it. It's such a useful analogy, actually, the weather one. And it's really nice what you were saying about visualizing the clouds and just understanding that, as in nature, it's about, I guess, trying to be with your thoughts and feelings and trying to tolerate them and sort of learning that they will pass and the storms will pass. It's not to say that these thoughts don't make us feel terrible sometimes. They can be really frightening and paralysing. But, yeah, to try and understand that the feeling attached to them won't last forever. I think that's nice. 
Yeah, it's that dance between acceptance. So I'm not trying to resist a thought because, as we said, that's going to make it come back louder and stronger. Mm. But by accepting it, it doesn't mean that I have to become victim of it. So it's accepting it. As you said, oh, there you are, harm thought, or oh, there you are, scary thought. That's the acceptance. And then, you know, the other stages of what you were saying, the self-soothing talk is, you know, this thought doesn't make me a bad mum. This thought doesn't make me a danger. This thought is just a thought. Yeah, I think it's accepting it and then knowing that we are not it. Yes, and disidentifying from it. Exactly. You used the word detachment, which I thought was a really good word. Yeah, and I think it's just in that detaching, it's trying not to get bound up in the stories that we then get hooked into about the thoughts so I've just had this thought and then getting hooked into that story of oh well that means that I'm a bad mum and that's because of this and then before you know it you've kind of got sucked into it so trying to disengage is a really powerful way not to control your thoughts but to help you feel that you can cope with your thoughts and the feelings that might be attached to them. Yeah I sometimes think about branches on a tree so if I have a thought you know like that hot water one that I was sharing with Rose I then have a choice and I know this is because I have trained my mind in that choice and not everyone will have that yet but I have a choice to think you know the next thought might be oh and you nearly dropped her the other day you're not really a safe mum that might be the next thought and then it might branch off into and do you remember when you did that with Jessie and then it might branch into and you're going back to work and she's only two months you're terrible you know it's almost like the branches and it can whereas what I can do now is create a bit of space as you were saying before and not hook in not branch off into the next thought the next thought the next thought and just stay and just you know then I might divert my thought as you were saying with a different statement or I might take a deep breath in and just focus on my breath or I might focus in on Rose's face or use that mindfulness that you were talking about just to come back to the moment but sometimes thinking for me about those branches because they do sort of branch off from each other and I think that's what can happen with thoughts and then before we know it we're like a weeping heap on the floor and I've been there too for sure you know when I'm tired it's harder to do if I haven't been meditating or if I'm not checked in with myself it's harder to do if I'm dehydrated it's harder to do you know there are lots of things that make it much harder but I think just the idea that we don't have to be at the mercy of these thoughts. It's really powerful. And I think, like you say, when you've just had a baby, your resources are down. Yeah. You know, you may well have less capacity to manage these kinds of thoughts. So I was just thinking in terms of why we have these thoughts at all, why do we have them in early parenting? Also kind of understanding that they tend to come as just part of the adjustment to having a baby as a way of of adapting to the huge responsibility. And I think that can also be helpful to understand, well, you know, why am I having these thoughts at this point, especially with all the expectation that it's meant to be a certain way. And certainly the women in my study, the harm thoughts made them more conscious of their power in contrast to their baby's vulnerability. So it can be helpful to understand harm thoughts as an adaptive response you know, that yeah, yeah. You use that word matrescence, and I think seeing these as part of that process of matrescence is very helpful. Yeah, and helping mums kind of work out 
clear boundaries between what's morally acceptable and what's not. So they're kind of serving as an effective warning system. And I think that can apply to accidental harm thoughts, you know, with the scalding water, helping you be more vigilant in order to protect your baby. But equally, you know, if you have a thought or an urge, an unwanted urge to throw your baby against a wall, you know, what do you do in response? Must hold her closer. So I think it's kind of about becoming more confident in your position of power and just sort of getting to know the different power dynamics that can come into play when you're getting to know life with your new baby. Yeah, that's really helpful. And is there anything else before we sort of wind down to the final question that I ask everyone? Is there anything else that you want to share about this that we haven't already talked about? You just mentioned breathing just as a way to help mums manage their thoughts and, you know, another way to do that. And I think using our breath as a healing tool can really be helpful in terms of activating our relaxation system and dampening down our fight and flight response and just lowering the emotional temperature of those harm thoughts. So I think breathing can be really helpful. A really simple one is just take three deep breaths, making sure that, you know, you've got your feet firmly on the floor Three deep breaths into your belly and then breathing in for three seconds and then out for six seconds. And when you exhale for longer, we know that automatically triggers our relaxation system. So that can be really powerful. And I guess other ways just to get out of our heads and into our body are dancing, swimming. At the moment, I'm preparing to do some cold water swimming. So it's, you know, about trying to turn our attention to our bodies can be really helpful. I think if you're feeling really overwhelmed with your thoughts, you can also just try distraction, you know, whether that's reading or listening to music or the radio, making a cup of tea, you know, those simple things to try and just distract yourself. Yeah, okay, fantastic. I think we've shared or you've shared so much powerful knowledge and I really hope this episode is Lots of people tell me that these episodes get shared around in like WhatsApp groups of mums. And I really hope that this is one that gets shared far and wide. So thank you for sharing everything that you have. Um, I was just thinking about just adding something on mindfulness, if that's okay. Yeah. Just a small caveat, just to say it doesn't work for everyone, especially if we've had traumatic experiences related to our body. So, you know, that could include having a difficult birth. So doing any mindfulness that further connects us to our body can feel very difficult. So if you want to try mindfulness safely, a good starting point can be focusing attention outwards. For example, if you go on a mindful walk and then turning your attention to your external surroundings, so to the trees and the flowers. I just wanted to mention that. And perhaps if I just mention, if you feel like you're really struggling to manage your harm thoughts, And maybe exploring them feels too scary because, you know, having a baby has stirred up painful memories linked to difficult earlier experiences. Or perhaps they're just so intrusive, they're getting in the way of your everyday life with your baby. Then a good starting place is to talk to your GP or your health visitor or a therapist. And perhaps also if you have an overwhelming sense of wanting or intending to hurt yourself or your baby, or you're feeling so low that this seems like the only answer, then it's essential that you seek help immediately by calling 999 or visiting A&E. 
Yeah, you've got some brilliant resources on your website and some signposting, which I'll put on the show notes. So if you're concerned in any way or about anyone, you can have a look at those resources. So the final question that I ask everyone is if you could give just one gift to all mums in the world, what would it be and why? Oh, that is such a good question. I think my gift would be to give women choice and agency to resist the supermom myth so I guess the first bit of that is allowing yourself to step back from your unwanted harm thoughts and understand that they don't mean you're a bad mum secondly I think that resistance it lets you off the hook of parenting perfectly so having good enough is your benchmark I think the rise in knowledge about child development can be really helpful but it can also be a bit of a trap I think it's really important to understand that good enough is important not only for mum in terms of her sanity and self-esteem, but it's also really important for the baby. And I guess this is a kind of understanding that when there's a rupture, so that's the mismatch between what the baby wants and the mum coming back in, the key thing is a good enough repair. So it's not about getting it right all the time. I think even the most attuned mums, they only get it right about 30% of the time. But it's just that when there is a rupture, understanding that the space between when the baby gets frustrated and mum comes back in again, really important things can happen developmentally. So, for example, when the baby's learning to crawl, if mum's always hovering there to catch the baby, the baby might not be motivated or spurred on to sort of tolerate the necessary pain and frustration of falling over and getting back up again. So I guess the take-home message is, the most important bit is a good enough repair and to know that, that something important can come out of difficult situations. So I think I would give mums the choice to resist the supermum myth and that can help you work out what kind of mother you want to be. So I guess for those listening, I'll just leave it on that note to reflect on. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. 
Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon. <laughs>